This is Keyshawn Rains, the host of Working Title with Keyshawn Rains, where amazing things happen. A series of past the collection plate style conversations with a Creole, queer, femme, yogi, mom, coach, author, and of course, podcast host with a nomadic soul, a quirky sense of humor, and an activator of empowerment. These conversations are just a chance for me to speak on ways to be mindful in a mindless world. Stories are shared, folks are empowered, inspired, and impacted to be more phenomenal versions of themselves through simple conversations about complex like love, life, and the pursuit of being real. Thanks for listening. The reason I call these soapbox sessions is because back in the day, or maybe even present day, people who really had something very important to say would stand upon a soapbox of sorts, meaning a box, a large crate, or something that would elevate them above the crowd so that their voice could be heard with or without a megaphone because they had something of importance to say. So thank you for listening to another soapbox session. I woke up this morning and started thinking about money and credit because that's what I wake up thinking about sometimes. And I guess that's because, you know, I'm a magnet for money and my mind is on money often. And sometimes I just get, you know, like a surge, you know, or a download that says, hey, let's think about this a little bit deeper. So I decided to jump on and do a soapbox because I have like about a 30 minute commute to the studio for my class this morning and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about money and credit and shame. Just being around people with money, asking questions, doing some self-study, going to workshops, going to seminars, reading the books and everything I possibly could about wealth, how to acquire it, how to maintain it, the reasons why some of us don't maintain it and the reasons why it's a big old secret that really shouldn't be a secret in the first place. So I might touch on all or a few of those things, but again, this is a soapbox session. So this is just coming off the dome and this is just coming from the heart. The first thing I wanted to talk about is why is it that people, some people with money feel that it is their duty and responsibility and right to shame people without money. I don't want to talk about that. And the reason I want to talk about it is because, you know, I grew up without a lot of money. You know, I'm the oldest of five kids. My parents met when they were teenagers, had five kids, you know, while they were relatively young. And, you know, the flow of income into our household was inconsistent at, at best. We were not dirt poor you know, we always had a roof over our head. We always had clothes on our backs, even if they were hand-me-downs. We always have food, even if it came from the food bank sometimes. And we were always in school. So, granted, there were people who were, you know, more poor than we were, but we felt pretty much like poor. So, we definitely heard, you know, we can't afford this, we can't afford that. My mom, you know, had to pay for groceries with food stamps. The whole shebang. And so, meanwhile, I had an aunt and an uncle well, actually two sets of aunts and uncles that in my opinion, from my you know perspective as a young person, were rich. They were rich. 
they drove nice cars, they lived in nice houses, they had nice clothes, and they always had money. They had enough money to be able to give me money, you know, for birthdays and Christmas, etc., etc. So in my mind, my snapshot or my impression of what wealth looked like is what my aunts and uncles looked like. Not my parents, but my aunts and uncles. So one of my aunts in particular actually was the first entrepreneur that I ever knew. You know, she was the first person I knew to own her own business and businesses. You know, she was the first person I knew who had like an office that she worked in that, you know, was hers and she didn't have a boss. You know, she got to make her own schedule and she had other people working under her. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of life that I want. I want a life like that looks like that. And she and I would have conversations about money. And at the time, you know, sometimes I was like 12, sometimes I was 15, 16, other times I was in my early 20s. And she would just kind of drop these nuggets and we would talk about money and we would talk about credit. And at the time that I first learned about credit, I was probably in my early teens. You know, I remember asking, you know, my aunt, like, well, what is that? You know, what's that? How did you, what's that card? You know what I mean? How come you're not paying cash? Cause my dad would always use cash for everything. And I'm pretty sure he's still a pretty cash driven person or, you know, cash spending person. But when I first saw a credit card, I was like, huh, now that is something that rich people have. So that's probably why my parents don't have one in my mind. So the conversations about credit went from just the card itself to what the card means and what the obligations are and how someone acquires a card and how you keep a card and how it affects something called credit. And before I went to college, I remember being told by my aunt, hey, you know, you're going to get to college and first things you're going to see on campus are these little tables with people giving away t-shirts or whatever. And they're going to try to get you to sign up for a credit card. If you decide to get a credit card, make sure that you only get one and that it's a little one, meaning not a huge, you know, um, available credit line and one that you only use for emergencies and maybe get yourself a gas card. That was, that was the only cards I was advised to get. And I was like, all right, cool, I can do that. And as long as I have a little job, I can pay my little credit card bill and I'll be straight. No, that is not at all what I did. I went to college, I signed up for every available credit card, including a cast card, and I did have a part-time job. However, I did not pay my credit card bill on time. And I damn sure did not use it just for emergencies. I used it for Victoria's Secret. I used it at Foot Locker. I used it at, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, Clothes Time or whatever other freaking stores, you know, because I'm older. Uh, I used it at the mall frequently. And, you know, because in some cases, you know, money was tight and the meal card on campus was, you know, exhausted. I needed to eat. So I used the credit card for food. And that was like a cardinal rule that I remember my aunt telling me don't ever use a credit card for food because if you use a credit card for food you are essentially paying potentially interest on something that you have literally digested and shat out so who wants to pay interest for shit you know what I'm saying so again I was given a lot of nuggets however I at the time being young and lacking in wisdom and also still operating with an entirely different set 
of financial education. So while I had what sounded to be like some pretty sound financial advice coming from my aunt, I had a completely different, you know, curriculum coming from my parents. My parents, again, like I said, didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, yet and still we always had a whole bunch of gifts under the Christmas tree. And, you know, we always had like random new gadgets and TV and you know we'd always you know had some kind of back to school shopping experience and so it was a little confusing because while I kept hearing we can't afford this we can't afford that and you know our furniture is not new and xyz we always had stuff and the message that I was getting at the time even though no one sat down and spelled it out was even if you don't have money you can still have stuff now, filling in the blanks as to how those things came together was never really explained to me. And what was also happening on a deeper level was the programming of we can't afford, we don't have enough, there isn't enough, we won't be able to afford it, etc., etc. And what was going on internally was a belief system was being developed. The belief system was there's not enough we can't get it only those people over there can have it you know isn't it so nice that that person has that and that person has that and I even remember hearing as a young person you know well such and such may have a lot of money but they're not happy you know because they don't know God such and such may have a lot of money but you know they're not going to be blessed in the end because they don't go to church so then it was like wait money and, and god got something to do with each other money and church so rich people are gonna go to hell is that what you're trying to say man when i tell you the messages were convoluted confusing and just a clusterfuck of information they damn sure were so like i said i was getting one set of information and programming from someone who i respected and honored and admired and then I was getting another set of information from my parents who I honored and loved and so needless to say by the time I went out into the world I went out into the world with a very unstable idea about what money was how it worked what credit was how it worked and how I could be wealthy and how I could be financially stable and ultimately financially free. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I actually was in a relationship and eventually married someone who became a financial advisor. So I remember studying alongside with this person and learning a little bit more about these things and starting to hear terms like life insurance and starting to hear terms like annuity and starting to hear terms like, you know, various ways, 401ks and 503s all kind of well no that's not proper you know what I'm trying to say starting hearing terms that I had never heard before investment terms hearing the term investment like it was just a regular part of conversation hearing the term retirement plan things that I had never heard before and so again an opportunity to receive this financial education was coming but the person that I was married to that was you know kind of teaching me this stuff we were also broke as shit so I was like, well, apparently, again, something is being lost in translation because we can't afford. We are going without. We are struggling. So if we have all this financial knowledge and we have all this financial education, why isn't it happening for us? What is going on? 
So fast forward 10, 15 years, and I actually started to learn a little bit more about money by vicariously through other people in a lot of ways. I would watch my coworkers, how they, you know, what they did with their money. You know, when you get a new job and you happen to have a job that um, has a 401k matching plan or has a benefits plan, you sit down and you look at this and check the boxes and you're like, yeah, I want to donate, you know, not donate, but I want to contribute to my 401k and, oh, it's cool because the job will match it, yada, yada, yada. And then there's some of us who are like, she, I'm not giving them none of my money. I want all of my money. I'm actually going to put exempt on my W-4 so y'all can give me all my money and I'll deal with taxes and shit later because I want all the whole entire check. And I get that because if you weren't taught any other way, how would you know that it's actually a benefit to take up to 8% of your wages and contribute them to a 401k, to a retirement plan that'll benefit you later on in life? Unless somebody sat down and told you that, especially somebody that you like, know, and trust and said, hey, this is a way that you could actually set yourself up for later. When you're in your 20s and you're getting your first real job that has, you know, a comma in the paycheck, the last thing you're doing is trying thinking about trying to put it away for another day unless you were given that education. And even though I was given pieces of it, it was never spelled out for me as clear as what money you put away now is going to help you when you're 40. You know, when you're in your 20s, you think retirement, you think old 70s, not the 70s is old, but you think older. You don't think like I'm going to be still out living in the world doing fun shit when I'm in retirement. When you're in your 20s, retirement seems like it's a long time away but as we all know time flies and that shit sneaks up on you like I don't know what so when I was in my 20s when I was starting to work real jobs for the first time because I have had several I would put a little bit away you know I was doing what a lot of people do which is to pay everybody else first and save what's left over for myself and one of the biggest lessons that I learned from wealth management people, from wealthy people, from financially free people, is always pay yourself first. That's the number one lesson. That's a nugget worth the entire conversation. Always pay yourself first. And what a lot of people don't realize is that if you get into the habit of paying everybody else first and saving what's left over for yourself, Not only is that a poor habit with your money, but that's a poor habit with your energy, with your time, with your life. Because if you think about it, a lot of people don't realize that money is energy. You know, money is energy. Money is just an energetic form that we use for currency, for exchange, etc., etc. If you are the type of person like I was, who would take care of everybody else's needs, friends, siblings, girlfriends, boyfriends, parents, etc. If you were the type of person who takes care of everybody else first, and then save the leftovers for yourself, if you're doing that with your money, chances are you're doing that somewhere else in your life. Because you are you, and everywhere you go, you are still you. (laughs) 
and the way that you are with one thing is probably the way that you are with some things. And that was one of the biggest lessons for me because it resonated beyond just the money. And when I started thinking about this idea of paying myself first, taking care of myself first, it struck me that that was the one lesson that was never really communicated. I didn't learn that. And because I didn't learn it, I didn't know it because I didn't know it. I couldn't do it. So when I fast forward to present day and the reason why I wanted to jump on here now was because I was having this feeling, you know, I'm coming out of a financial rut right now. As we speak, as I record this podcast, I am literally digging out of a hole that I fell into last year over the course of about 18 months for various and assorted reasons, loss of income, change of income, change of schedule, injury, physical injury, health issue, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. People fall into financial ruts for a lot of different reasons and no reason is better than or worse than another. No reason is more justifiable than another. Financial rut is a financial rut. When your bank account is on low, low, doesn't really matter how it got there. Fact is that it's there. And instead of focusing on the, you know, the problem, you want to start to focus on solutions. But in order to develop a solution, you got to get to the root of the problem. Because, you know, if you don't know what you're treating, how will you know how to treat it? You know what I'm saying? Just like a um, physical illness. If you don't know where the pain is coming from, you don't know how to treat it. You might just be throwing pills and it's not really working. So when it comes to healing money issues... And that's what I like to see it as healing money issues because money issues are just like any other issue. It's an energetic issue. It's typically an emotional issue. It's typically a mental emotional issue and there is a solution for it. So the sooner that you recognize that, then the sooner you can start to, you know, get your shit together. So the reason I wanted to jump on this morning was because I was like, you know what? Shit. I noticed that it was payday. That's what struck this conversation up. I noticed that it was payday. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting paid today. And I felt excited. You know what I mean? And I felt relieved also. And I had to pause for a second because I was thinking to myself, wait a minute. Why am I so excited for payday? Why am I still looking forward to payday? That's not financial freedom, Keyshawn. That's still, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. And I was starting to... I'm really hard on myself I was starting to like pull out the shame game you know what I mean oh girl see you know you still ain't got your shit together look at you still struggling still coming out of a rut who when you gonna get it together Keyshawn you know the little person who lives inside my head who likes to judge me and I had to stop because I asked myself why do we do that not just internally but externally why do we shame each other for being in financial hardships, whether it's all the time, some of the time, here and there, ups and downs, whatever it is, why do we shame each other for that? Where does that come from? And I notice it a lot, of course, on social media, because that's where people go to shame and bully. I notice it a lot in spaces like that, where people talk about, like, I'll see a post that says, you know, if your credit score is below a 600, like, you know, you can't sit with us basically, you know, like just some petty shit. And instead of saying, if your credit score is below 600, sis, brother, friend, sister, brother, 
community member, friend, whoever. Instead of saying, if your credit score is below 600, you can't sit with us. Maybe the conversation could look more and sound more like, if your credit score is below 600 and I know the way to get it above, come talk to me. Come holler at me. Because I'm already on the other side. And I want you to be on the other side. Because I'm not just saying this to floss. I'm saying this because I really want to support. You know, I really want to, I want to change your experience. I want to improve your experience. And just like somebody had to show me, I want to be able to show you. And even though I'm still making mistakes, or I have made mistakes, I should say, trust and believe I know what not to do. And I know what I need to do. And what I know is that if your credit score is below 600, it's not just about what's in your bank account. It's what's in your your soul account. You know what I mean? It's what's happening deeper within you. There's specifically for people of color, specifically for black people, there's generational systematic belief systems that literally repel money from black folks. And it's deep, y'all. Like, I can't even get into it right now because I'm about to be at the studio. But it's deep. And I'll come back and talk about this another time. But I just wanted to say that if you are a person right now today, as you're listening to this, who is in a financial rut, who is digging out of financial hardship, who is really, really, really hungry and ready for financial freedom and just want to know where to begin just be gentle with yourself. Ask. And truthfully, I've learned that the people who really have financial freedom are very generous with their knowledge, very generous with their information, very generous with their resources. People who really are balling, you know what I'm saying? People who are really doing well, those are the ones who will be like, oh yeah, this is exactly who you need to talk to. Here's a book to read. There's a workshop happening. I'll sponsor you to go. You and I can sit down and have a conversation about woo-dee-woo or yada, yada, yada. I got you. Those are the people who really have the money, y'all. But the ones who are still figuring it out, which is okay too, the ones who maybe don't have it all the way together or living off of credit, which is not necessarily a good thing, um, those are the people that are going to be a little more stingy with their information. And you know why? Because they haven't become fully financially free. And they're still operating from a place of worry that if they tell you their quote unquote secrets that you're going to, I don't know, become wealthier than they do possibly. But one thing I'm here to tell you is that this is an abundant universe. Okay. And this is not a universe that operates out of the rules of lack and scarcity. This is a universe that operates out of rules of abundance and prosperity. And there is enough to go around. There is enough for me to be wealthy and financially free. There's enough for you to be wealthy and financially free and so on and so on. So you've heard of the phrase, each one teach one. That's real, especially for us, especially for our folks, especially for black folks, especially for queer folks as well. Each one teach one. If you know that going this way actually leads to a desired result, maybe prosperity, maybe financial freedom. 
and you know at least four other people that aren't going that way because maybe they don't know how to get there and you're sitting pretty and you're fliss flossing and you're over there and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm good and I'm great and y'all too bad for y'all if that's what you're doing you're not really free (laughs) you're really not and I want everybody to be free you know what I mean I want everybody to experience wealth I want everybody to experience prosperity and I know that there's people who will listen to this who will say oh well the world and the systems are set up so that we will never and I'm like yeah yeah well once upon a time we were slaves guys and we're not anymore so maybe that's just the optimist in me that believes that yes things can change things can get better things can improve but I want you guys to know that I believe it because I've seen it. You know what I mean? I know it's possible. I know that people can develop financial freedom. I know that with appropriate financial education that people can at least be better than where they were. They might not all be Oprah tomorrow or the next day, but they can be better off than where they were. And that's my my hope is that with access to information, with access to education that people can actually learn and at least be given the knowledge now granted if you don't apply it that's on you you know what I mean just like it was on me I had a bunch of knowledge I had a bunch of information I didn't apply all of it and as a result you know what I'm saying folks got some problems here and there but I didn't give up and I am doing better than I was before and I have learned so much that it really does make me feel empowered. So even when I do experience moments where I'm like, ooh, it's a little tight, a little tight, I have to look inward and be like, okay, what are we doing differently energetically? What's going on here? Where are we at emotionally? What's really happening? And I'm starting to learn and I'm starting to identify those connections so that when I see, you know, an old habit or an old money belief pop up, I'm able to be like, ah, no, we don't do that anymore. That's not how we think that's not how we operate that's not how we live so you know that's all I wanted to share with you guys so have an amazing day hopefully hearing this gave you some inspiration some knowledge some wisdom because you know that's only the reason why I do it I'm laughing at myself right now because sometimes people want to know like how do you come up with podcasts and how do you come up with your topics and yada 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 and the truth is sometimes the way that I come up with my soapbox sessions in particular is I have something on my mind I'm you know processing something or just have thoughts on something and I call everybody in my you know high council And because right now I'm on the East Coast and there's a three hour time difference, the people that I want to talk to aren't necessarily available and I got to get this shit out. And so I record a soapbox session. And what's interesting enough is that just like I just told my students in my class, you have everything you need already inside of you. You have all of your answers, all the advice, all the wisdom. You already have it. The benefit, of course, of having community, having people that you can talk to, people that you can, you know, uh, seek counsel from and whatnot, is 
they help you just bring it out of yourself but it's already there and that's something that I think we all need to be reminded about from time to time because a lot of times we you know we look for uh self-help books or we look for you know the answers and we look for wisdom and we look for you know everything we take classes we hire coaches we buy books we go to seminars the whole gamut when in reality everything we need we already have and while it is valuable to have support to have guidance to have community people around you to help you identify your greatness it is important to remember that the wisdom that comes from other people is often things that you have said to yourself thought to yourself felt within yourself but maybe couldn't find the words to be able to express it couldn't find you know the action to be able to produce it so when you speak to other people or you vent or you process or you you know talk it out it's really just kind of hearing your own thoughts if you think about it or at least that's how it is for me maybe other people that's not the case but I think I've gotten to a point of self-awareness where when I go to my friends or my high council to be able to talk through my stuff nine times out of ten I'm getting to my answers I'm you know finding my own conclusions they're not showing me anything that I was unaware of or anything like that they're really just serving as a reflection which is what your friends and community and the people that you have around you that's ideally what they hopefully are doing for you all of the time if they're not it might be time to find some new friends what I know for sure is the people that I have in my inner circle or my high council are people that have been carefully selected not necessarily by me but carefully selected by what I call source energy or the universe to be in my life at this particular time in my life right now meaning that at a different time in my life we might not have blended we might not have bonded we might not have seen eye to eye we might not have spoken the same language etc but where I am in my life right now I need these people they create a sense of self-awareness and a sense of reflection that didn't exist before meaning that it's one thing to have people in your life who toot your horn you know what I'm saying like people who just kind of stroke your ego and don't ever really challenge you or don't ever really say like mm, about that one girl they just kind of let you live quote-unquote having people around you that just let you live can be cool to a certain extent however I believe that if you don't have anybody in your circle who will check you with grace okay check you with compassion and maybe check you is not the right terminology, but people who will hold you accountable. If you don't have people in your life that'll hold you accountable to being your highest and greatest expression of yourself at all times, if you don't have people to hold you accountable to remind you of who you really are and to remind you of what you really want in your life and remind you of what you stand for when you forget, because we all forget. Nobody is exempt from having moments where we forget our why, we forget 
why we get out of bed each day. We forget why we decided to go back to school. We forget why we decided to, you know, create a different uh, lifestyle for ourselves. We forget because sometimes when we get to a place where we're making a lifestyle change, we're making a decision to where we're going to do something different that's going to create a different experience in our lives. Sometimes it gets rough. And depending on who you have around you will sometimes determine whether you give up or you lean in. And thankfully, I have people in my life, not necessarily people that I see every day or talk to every day or spend a whole bunch of time with, but the people that really know me, the people that I've allowed in, the people that I feel hold me accountable in a way that I really need to be held accountable those are the people that I'm most grateful for right now the reason why I think it's important to take inventory of the people that are in your life is because sometimes we attract well not sometimes all the time We attract people that are like us in a sense, meaning like attracts like. If you are at a certain point in your life where you are operating in a certain wavelength or certain vibration, if you want to call it that, you are going to attract people that are operating in a like vibration or a like frequency, if you want to call it that. When you change your vibration or you change your frequency, guess what? You're going to attract different people sometimes. Other times, there's people that are changing their frequency and their vibration at around the same pace as you are. And those are the kinds of friendships, relationships, which are friendships. Those are the kind of relationships that I think are some of the most valuable because those are the kinds of people that are growing and expanding and transforming and evolving like you, not identical, of course, but like you, because like doesn't mean identical, like means similar. So the people that I currently have in my life are people that I've known for a pretty substantial amount of time. And they've seen me go through different changes different iterations of myself, uh, different versions of Keyshawn, like Keyshawn, you know, 2.0, 2.4, 2.5, 2.7, 2.12. There's been many iterations. I think of myself much like an OS or an operating system for those who are not tech geeks like me. I think of myself like an OS, which means that every year, (laughs) if you're Apple, uh, every year, there's going to be a new version of you, almost like a software update. And I know that if you have, excuse me, getting over a cold, I know that if you have technology, we'll use iPhone because that's what I know best. If you have any kind of technology, you know that every year, sometimes several times within a year, there are updates, software updates. And then usually once a year, there's an upgrade And the difference between an update and an upgrade is an update is making slight changes 
to an already existing operating system. And an upgrade is an entire overhaul into a new operating system. So if you think of yourself as an operating system, which in reality, you do have a system <clears throat> that you operate from. You have a way of existing, a way of being, a way of living, a way of operating. You have a way, the way that you function, the way that you move, the way that you speak, the way that you live, the way that you eat. That's all your operating system. So if your operating system hasn't been upgraded or at least updated in a while, it might be time to make some changes. And sometimes it starts by looking at and taking inventory of everything that's existing and functioning within your operating system. So if you think of an operating system like a computer or use your phone because you probably have it in your hand right now or nearby you, on your phone you have apps. We used to call them programs, but apparently that's a little bit too political, so we call them applications. But you have programs, you have apps, you have things that function within your overall system. You as a person also have programs, belief systems, thought patterns, ideas, ways of living, behaviors. You have programs that are operating, that are existing, that are functioning within your operating system. And you also have users, people that are operating and functioning within your operating system. So every once in a while, it's important to take inventory of all of these things, to take inventory of all of your programs, to take inventory of all of your systems, to take inventory of all of your users and see if everyone and every system and every program is working together for the overall homeostasis, so to speak, of your existence. Why is it that we are so quick to make sure we do the software upgrades on our technology, but to do an upgrade on ourselves is like not a priority? Like, oh, we can do that later. I don't need to up myself. Ooh, I don't know. Take inventory. You mean I got to look at myself? Shit. How long is that going to take? What do I have to do? Where do I begin? These are the kind of questions we ask ourselves. When in reality, if we don't take inventory of ourselves, if we don't look inside of our operating system and notice any bugs, any glitches, things that need to be tweaked, adjusted, or removed altogether, if we don't do that, how well can we really function if we're using an old, outdated operating system for our lives? You know what I'm saying? Like, imagine trying to use, you know, what, Windows 95 right now or OS 10 just regular OS 10, not 10.12 or 10.13 or whatever we're on right now. Imagine trying to use the first operating system that came out on the very first iPhone right now on your iPhone X Max. Would it work very well? Would it would it serve you and all of your needs? Would it be able to keep up with the person that you are present day? <clears throat> or would it lag? Would it run slowly? 
would it take forever to process and to, to access information? Would the experience of using it be diminished? Probably. So if you look at yourself as an operating system and you're using old software and old systems and old belief patterns and old thought patterns and old behaviors expecting to still get by that's all you can do is get by if that you might not even be getting by you might have a full-on system meltdown where the little sad face shows up on the screen if you have a mac that's like uh uh-uh, it's ain't working or the spinning beach ball you know what i mean is is that how you want to live so for those of you who are have no idea about technology and have no idea what i'm talking about i'm gonna bring it back to like human spiritual stuff for just a second but for those of you who do know and i think most of you do have some grasp of how your technology functions and understand that having an outdated operating system can actually greatly affect your ability to utilize your technology to its fullest potential and you think of yourself as an operating system and you think of your ability to function at your fullest potential you i think you might get what i'm talking about and see people who honk their horns they're just rude do they think it makes you go faster no it doesn't it doesn't just chill out anyway if you look at yourself today and you stand in front of a mirror and you look at your body it probably looks a little different than it did 10 years ago It probably looks a little different than it did five years ago. It might even look different than it did one year ago or six months ago. And a lot of times we focus our energy and effort on maybe making changes, alterations, updates, upgrades, modifications to our external body. We don't necessarily spend as much time making modifications, upgrades, updates, alterations to our internal body, our internal self. And I believe that's why the whole self-help, personal development, holistic healing, get your mother life right movement is so big right now. The reason why it's trending right now is because I believe that with this what I consider to be global awakening that's happening in so many people is this idea of like I can only nip and tuck push and pull sit up and push up (laughs) plank and you know what I'm saying squat so much I can what I was saying is that that is who I am grateful for like I said probably in a previous podcast that's a soapbox session I record these while I'm driving and so sometimes I have to take breaks because I have to be a safe driver um the reason why I think it's important to take inventory of the people that are in your life is because sometimes we attract well not sometimes all the time we attract people that are like us in a sense meaning like attracts like if you are at a certain point in your life where you are operating in a certain wavelength or certain vibration if you want to call it that you are going to attract 
people that are operating in a like vibration or a like frequency, if you want to call it that. When you change your vibration or you change your frequency, guess what? You're going to attract different people sometimes. Other times, there's people that are changing their frequency and their vibration at around the same pace as you are. And those are the kinds of friendships, relationships, which are friendships. Those are the kind of relationships that I think are some of the most valuable because those are the kinds of people that are growing and expanding and transforming and evolving like you, not identical, of course, but like you, because like doesn't mean identical, like means similar. So the people that I currently have in my life are people that I've known for a pretty substantial amount of time. And they've seen me go through different changes, different iterations of myself, uh, different versions of Keyshawn, like Keyshawn, you know, 2.0, 2.4, 2.5, 2.7, 2.12. There's been many iterations. I think of myself much like an OS or an operating system for those who are not tech geeks like me. I think of myself like an OS, which means that every year, (laughs) if you're Apple, uh, every year, there's going to be a new version of you, almost like a software update. And I know that if you have, excuse me, getting over a cold, I know that if you have technology, we'll use iPhone because that's what I know best. If you have any kind of technology, you know that every year, sometimes several times within a year, there are updates, software updates. And then usually once a year, there's an upgrade And the difference between an update and an upgrade is an update is making slight changes to an already existing operating system. And an upgrade is an entire overhaul into a new operating system. So if you think of yourself as an operating system, which in reality, you do have a system that you operate from. You have a way of existing, a way of being, a way of living, a way of operating. You have a way, the way that you function, the way that you move, the way that you speak, the way that you live, the way that you eat. That's all your operating system. So if your operating system hasn't been upgraded or at least updated in a while, it might be time to make some changes. And sometimes it starts by looking at and taking inventory of everything that's existing and functioning within your operating system. So if you think of an operating system like a computer or use your phone because you probably have it in your hand right now or nearby you, on your phone you have apps. We used to call them programs, but apparently that's a little bit too so we call them applications but you have programs you have apps you have things that function within your overall system you as a person also have programs belief systems thought patterns ideas ways of living behaviors you have programs 
that are operating, that are existing, that are functioning within your operating system. And you also have users, people that are operating and functioning within your operating system. So every once in a while, it's important to take inventory of all of these things, to take inventory of all of your programs, to take inventory of all of your systems, to take inventory of all of your users and see if everyone and every system and every program is working together for the overall homeostasis, so to speak, of your existence. Why is it that we are so quick to make sure we do the software upgrades on our technology, but to do an upgrade on ourselves is like not a priority? Like, oh, we can do that later. I don't need to upload myself. Ooh, I don't know. Take inventory. You mean I got to look at myself? Shit. How long is that going to take? What do I have to do? Where do I begin? These are the kind of questions we ask ourselves. When in reality, if we don't take inventory of ourselves, if we don't look inside of our operating system and notice any bugs, any glitches, things that need to be tweaked, adjusted, or removed altogether, if we don't do that, how well can we really function if we're using an old, outdated operating system for our lives? You know what I'm saying? Like, imagine trying to use, you know, what, Windows 95 right now, or OS 10, just regular OS 10, not 10.12 or 10.13 or whatever we're on right now. Imagine trying to use the first operating system that came out on the very first iPhone right now on your iPhone X Max. Would it work very well? Would it would it serve you and all of your needs? Would it be able to keep up with the person that you are present day? <clears throat> or would it lag? Would it run slowly? Would it take forever to process and to, to access information? Would the experience of using it be diminished? Probably. So if you look at yourself as an operating system and you're using old software and old systems and old belief patterns and old thought patterns and old behaviors expecting to still get by that's all you can do is get by if that you might not even be getting by you might have a full-on system meltdown where the little sad face shows up on the screen if you have a mac that's like uh uh-uh, it's mm-mm, ain't working or the spinning beach ball you know what i mean is is that how you want to live so for those of you who are have no idea about technology and have no idea what i'm talking about i'm gonna bring it back to like human spiritual stuff for just a second but for those of you who do know and I think most of you do have some grasp of how your technology functions and understand that having an outdated operating system can actually greatly affect your ability to utilize your technology to its fullest potential and you think of yourself as an operating system and you think of your ability to function at your fullest potential you I think you might get what I'm talking about and see people who honk their horns they're just rude. Do they think it makes you go faster? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Just chill out. Anyway, if you look at yourself today, 
and you stand in front of a mirror and you look at your body, it probably looks a little different than it did 10 years ago. It probably looks a little different than it did five years ago. It might even look different than it did one year ago or six months ago. And a lot of times we focus our energy and efforts on maybe making changes, alterations, updates, upgrades, modifications to our external body. We don't necessarily spend as much time making modifications, upgrades, updates, alterations to our internal body, our internal self. And I believe that's why the whole self-help, personal development, holistic healing, get your moving life right movement is so big right now. The reason why it's trending right now is because I believe that with this, what I consider to be global awakening that's happening in so many people is this idea of like, I can only nip and tuck, push and pull, sit up and push up, (laughs) plank and you know what I'm saying? Squat so much. I can. So with that being said, my mom being the one who was a little, you know, had a softer hand, my dad being the one who I'm guessing his intention was, I have four daughters, you know, and a son. I mean, at one point there was only three daughters and there was only two. Then at one point there was just one, me, of course. Uh, I believe his intention was I need to protect and provide for my kids. And I think that that's a common intention for dads protect and provide nurture uh, empower uh, encourage motivate not necessarily at the top of his list of priorities as far as being a dad is concerned however as we know you know as we've become more you know informed that a child a person needs more than to just be protected and provided for because just protecting and providing isn't really, you know, creating the opportunity for the child to develop a stabilized sense of self. Protecting and providing is like creating a container and then putting a kid in it. Be like, here, I made the container. Now, there you go. Figure it out yourself. The rest of that, figure it out yourself. And while that did, you know, create the opportunity for me to become independent and for me to like on my own start to really explore self-awareness and identity and all those kinds of things what it also did was create the impression for me that dads are emotionally unavailable and that's just a dad thing that's what dads do and for me to expect anything else would be kind of unreasonable because he was a dad and then of course as I got older that translated into men are emotionally unavailable and men just protect and provide because that's just what men do so Sometimes when we talk about women or men, but when we talk about people who have daddy issues, a lot of times the assumption is like, oh, you know, your dad wasn't there or your dad was physically absent. When in reality, there's times, well, there's some of us who actually did have a dad in the household for the most part. And while they were physically present, they were absent in every other way. 
you know, they were unavailable in the, in the ways that maybe we needed. And I think another thing that comes up for me when I think about my childhood is that when you have multiple children, for those of you who have multiples, you, you do have to recognize that each of them is different. Not only do they look different, not only do they have different names, literally, different birthdays, they're not the same person and they don't require the same type of parenting. You know, they don't require the same type of love, even if you wanna if you wanna call it that. They don't require the same type of attention, they don't have the same needs, their expectations are different, and to think that you can just kind of have a blanket approach to parenting is insane doesn't make any sense so in my family we you know were church going people which I guess is a lot of the case for a lot of black people but what was I considered to be unique about my experience was that we went to a lot of different churches you know I was baptized Catholic as you know as a baby went to Catholic school in elementary school and then we became Christian, I guess, and went to a Christian church for a while or non-denominational as they call it. And then another point, you know, we became Baptist and they were Baptist for a while. So by the time I left home at 17, I was like, I don't really know what they are, but I know what I am and I know that I'm not that. <laughs> and so when I think about how parents introduce different practices to their children thinking I'm going to do this because this is going to make sure that my kid has a good life or becomes a good person or saves their soul quote unquote and a lot of times they don't necessarily consider what it would look like sound like feel like to be able to say hey child sentient being who has your own mind and is able to make decisions what do you think what would you like what feels comfortable for you Tell me a little bit more about that. And instead, they kind of just like shut. So uh, the reason I wanted to jump on this particular soapbox this morning was because I was uh, inspired by another podcast that I was listening to. And the topic was the experiences, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows that relate to fatherhood and in a sense, parenting. And it kind of got me thinking about my parenting. And then I sat with it a little bit more and was like, maybe I really want to talk about being parented. Um, something that any person who's listening to this, who knows that, uh, you know, or who knows from experience that they've actually been in any kind of therapeutic environment or any kind of healing environment that, at some point in time, you're gonna have to come to terms with your issues relating to your childhood because the root of most trauma that we as adult humans carry around, the root, well, the root can be found in childhood. And that's because that's where we began, you know? So the idea that, like, people say oh you know I was unaffected and um you know I had a great childhood and for those of you who had a great childhood cool congratulations consider yourself blessed if you can look at your childhood and be like oh my god it was wonderful 
I couldn't have asked for a single thing. I had a blissful and bountiful childhood. I felt abundantly loved, yada, yada, yada. If that was your experience, great. Maybe this ain't the soapbox for you to listen to. But <clears throat> if that wasn't your experience, then you can probably understand or relate to what I'm about to start talking about. And that is what having a tumultuous, challenging, <laughs> uh, you know, roller coastery, uncertain, uh, stressful, or otherwise traumatic childhood, what that can do to a person and how it shows up later in life. The reason that I am passionate about talking about childhood trauma is not because I'm trying to drudge up a bunch of painful feelings just for the fuck of it. It's more about when I see certain behaviors show up in adults, whether it's in myself or the person that I'm dating or friends or people that I'm working with, the reason why I'm interested in digging into it more is because that's how I understand a little bit more about why a person is the way they are as an adult. Because the other option is to just tell people you're fucked up. I don't know why. Go figure it out over there. I'm the kind of person because I have a passion for creating healing opportunities for people, creating empowerment opportunities for people. Of course, I'm not going to just like brush somebody off as just a fucked up person who can't be fixed or healed, I should say, or who can't be helped is a better word. So when I think about my childhood, I, you know, I've shared before that I am the oldest of five children. My parents met when they were 15 years old at Disneyland and they've been together ever since. Uh, my mom, by the time she was, you know, in her, by the time she was 40, she already had five kids, <laughs> which is a lot considering that I'm in my forties and I have one child and I'm like, holy shit, I don't know that I ever want to do that again because it was a lot of work. What I also want to say about the way I grew up is that while my parents stayed together the whole time, they were, you know, still married and they are still married currently. We had some issues, you know, in our child, in our childhood, in my childhood home, in my home environment, the way I grew up. My dad was addicted to drugs for the duration of my childhood. We're going to say we'll put a at least a 20 year span of time where my dad was addicted to drugs. And that meant, you know, in and out of rehab. That meant sometimes he just disappeared. We didn't know where he was, didn't know when he was coming back, didn't know if he was coming back. Money disappearing, valuable things disappearing. Um, just a lot of broken promises, a lot of broken, you know, expectations, a lot of disappointment, a lot of fear, a lot of, you know, verbal abuse and physical, you know, what they call quote unquote punishing, I call abuse. Uh, my dad was the kind of dad who <clears throat> didn't just, you know, use uh, the Bible as a tool for, you know, emotional uh, abuse but also used it as a tool to justify, you know, what I consider to be physical abuse when it came to disciplining, quote unquote, heavy quotations, his kids. My dad was the kind of dad who, you know, used a two by four as a tool for, you know, spanking. 
use your imagination. Uh, last I checked, the two by four is not the same thing as a belt. So uh, anyway, I um, that was the way I grew up. You know, I grew up. That was my dad and my mom. Who, while she was still in the house with us, she was the one who provided the the tenderness. You know, she was the one who provided the, I guess if you can call it like the softer child rearing experience. Okay, well, here we go with a soapbox session. I am driving as per usual, and I am just being hit with this urge to jump on here and talk a little bit about what I like to call the perfection parasite. Uh, A friend of mine recently, shout out to CJ, gave me this terminology and when she said it, it just resonated so much because I understood exactly what it feels like to full on feel as though you have an actual parasite in your mind telling you that if you're not perfect, you suck, basically. And if you're not perfect, you're trash. And if whatever you create is not perfect, you still suck. And what stood out to me most when she said it was that it does genuinely feel like a fucking parasite. It feels like something that's literally gnawing at your mind, infiltrating your thoughts, making you see things that aren't there, hear things that aren't there, second guess yourself, making you literally look at everything that you say and do and create with such a critical eye that you cannot even allow yourself to produce or to be productive. And the reason why I decided to jump on this particular soapbox right now is because I was just listening to um, the most recent episode of the podcast, which granted when this episode comes out, who knows, it might not even be the most recent episode because as a podcast host, I am creating, producing, recording, editing, promoting, marketing, creating the graphics, creating the snippets, everything you see related to working title with Keyshawn Rains is literally created by me. You know, like when you watch a movie and at the end of the movie, it's like directed by, written by, produced by all the same person. That's what this is. And I say that not as like an excuse for errors or edits that slip through the cracks, but I say that to say that's how committed I am to creating this content is I will literally do everything myself. Not because I don't want to ask for help, kind of, kind of don't want to ask for help. Hi, stay in your lane, sir. Stay in your lane. Again, I'm driving, so, you know, that's going to happen. I do everything myself because I have perfection parasites. I do everything myself because there's a part of me that, of course, wants everything that my name goes on to be perfect. What I realized, though, is part of that comes from not only wanting to, you know, be seen as a professional in everything that I do, whether it's authoring a book, producing a podcast, teaching a yoga class, you know, writing a blog, producing a website, coaching, consulting, everything I do, I want to put my best foot forward. So it's not necessarily just about being perfect as it is about doing my best. And for me, my best, the bar for my best 
is often set at a level of perfect, which of course we all know doesn't really exist. So as I was saying, uh, as you know, again, soapbox sessions are often recorded while I'm driving. Why? Because I swear to y'all, I come up with the best ideas while I'm on the road. Maybe because it's a way for me not to go off on these mofos in D.C. who cannot drive. Like literally, total sidebar. I heard the other day that like D.C., Maryland has like the worst drivers in like the nation. Maybe because they're just very sad and stressed out and angry because you know, the country we live in. But anyway, back on topic. What I was saying is that my bar for performance, for self-evaluation, or what I consider to be doing my best, my bar is set pretty high. It's set at about perfection. And perfection in my book, of course, is doing something without flaw, doing something, you know, without error, doing something without mistakes. You know, as a writer, I, you know, want to make sure that anything I put out there has been proofread a thousand times, you know, to make sure that I didn't fuck up. However, I produced a whole ass book. Sure did. Created, wrote, edited, proofread, and published my own book. And when I actually picked up the first copy of it to read it, I realized that throughout the book, the word meditation had been replaced with the word medication like talk about a huge fucking slip right and unfortunately I couldn't go back and like republish the book and be like oh hey guys everybody who bought it can you return that so I can do no I couldn't but what I know for sure is that the key is in the content that is where the message is and the content is often much larger than spelling errors and you know, punctuation errors or even printing errors. I actually had a moment when, excuse me, still getting over this retarded cold. I had a moment where I was reading a book that is written by an author that I consider to be pretty damn perfect. And I found spelling errors. (laughs) And in the moment I was like, oh my God, she makes mistakes too. And you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. And even when they put themselves out there as a professional or even, say, an expert on a particular area, that they, too, can make mistakes, you know. And we live in a world where a lot of the content that we consume right now on media, social media, television, film, writing, et cetera, et cetera, has been, you know, scrutinized and edited to the nth degree to make sure that it looks the way the creator wants it to look. And sometimes it's edited in favor of the subject and sometimes it's edited not in favor of the subject. But when I am the subject and I am the one who's creating the content, I set my bar high and my bar is at perfection. And when my friend introduced this concept of a perfection parasite to me about a week ago, I was like, holy shit, I need a cleanse. You know, when people have a parasite in their gut, they do a cleanse where they like eat melons for a week or they drink water with cayenne pepper, lemons and maple syrup for a week or they fast completely because they're trying to clear out, you know, a parasite or maybe avoid getting one in some cases. I said to myself just now before I decided to jump on this soapbox, I need to do a cleanse to get rid of the perfection parasites. And I tell you, it ain't going to be no small feat because there's a lot of these. Oh, that's not my street. See, still making mistakes. 
Uh, there's a lot of per- perfection parasites that live inside of my mind. And it's not easy for me to even like admit that. But you know what? You guys are my listeners and you're listening to what I say because most of you like what I have to say. And my efforts as a podcast host, as a coach, as a public figure, even to use that terminology seems a little odd, but that's what Instagram decided to call it. Um, as a public figure, I want to be transparent and I want to possibly help someone else heal from their perfection parasites because I know that we all have them. I know that especially people who are very ambitious, people who want a lot, you know what I mean, for their lives, people who have a calling on their life to create a huge impact often have a bar set for themselves that is set at the perfection level. And even though we know that there's no such thing as perfect, it's not necessarily our fault. You know, to be perfectly honest, how many people have heard the all too common phrase that practice makes perfect, practice makes perfect, practice makes perfect. But the truth is practice doesn't make perfect because perfect is not a destination. Perfect is just an idea. And truthfully, perfect is also subjective because what I consider to be perfect is based on what I know my absolute best is. And it's not necessarily what your perfect is. Your perfect might be my average, no shade. But the reality is that my level of what I consider to be the best is not the same. Like I think about hotels, for instance, if I'm traveling and I'm going to stay in a hotel, it needs to be at least five stars four and a half at the at the lowest you know when I book an Airbnb I need it to be a super host why because I want the best somebody else might stay at a one star somebody else might stay at a new Airbnb that the host has no experience I'm not that person and that's because my bar is set where it's set and it doesn't mean that if someone falls below that bar you know that they're bad or they're less than or I think I'm better than them I just know my biggest uh, source of critique and constructive criticism comes from within. And that's based on what I know I'm capable of. Because the reality is nobody knows what you're capable of more than you. Nobody knows how good you can be, how much you can produce, how high your bar is, how much you can accomplish. Nobody knows that better than you. You know you better than anybody. Let me be clear about that. I don't care how close they are. I don't care, you know, if they're a spouse, friend, family, parent. Nobody knows you better than you because there's parts of you that you don't necessarily share with anybody. And some of those parts of you haven't even been fully formed or developed. There might be parts of you that you're still figuring out because we're constantly changing and we're constantly growing and so if your bar like mine is set at a perfection level well maybe that level of perfection might have been applicable a year ago five years ago ten years ago maybe your best might look different than what it did in the past hopefully your best depending on you know what we're talking about specifically if it's like creating content hopefully your best gets better over time hopefully your best your bar for your best actually gets higher and higher over time because the more that you work on a particular craft the more you begin to master it then everything that you produce using that craft is going to get better with time so just like I look at authors like I'll give you an example Brene Brown Brene Brown is an amazing human being She stands on a platform where she actually helps people to explore and understand what it what it looks like to live a life 
wholeheartedly. She embraces the concept of vulnerable courage. She helps to break down a lot of the belief systems around change. And she actually has a special on Netflix right now. So you can watch it and check it out. Uh, someday I'm going to work with Brene Brown, mark my word. But anyway, one of her first books, actually, I think her first published book in comparison to her most recent book, substantially different. Not to say that her first book was not as good as her current book. However, when I looked at an interview and she had a copy of her first book on stage, I was like, oh, it's not like my book. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like it could be better. The cover wasn't too fancy and you know, it looked kind of plain, almost like a dissertation, but I guarantee the content, the message, the intention, the, the lessons that she poured into that book, that I guarantee was perfection because even if you make mistakes along the way, even if edits slip through the cracks on your podcast and you're like, holy shit, people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, what was that about? And how come she talking about something that happened in July and it's September and how come she didn't edit this out or edit that out? Or, oh, what was that background noise or whatever? If people are spending time critiquing your work to that extent and these people are not producing anything of their own, that they can possibly measure up to what you are doing because it's ocean. It's real easy for somebody to be a critic when they're not creating. I'm going to say that again. It's real easy for someone to be a critic when they are not creating because to sit on the sidelines and be able to say, oh, I could have done that better. Or, oh, they could have done that better. Or, oh, they fucked that up. Or, oh, that was a mistake. Or, oh, they slipped up there. Or, oh, they missed that. All that energy and effort that the critic is spending criticizing the creative is effort that they're not spending on creating for themselves. That's effort that they're spending on making somebody else feel like what they're doing is not good enough when they ain't doing shit. Okay, let me just put that out there. My critic is internal. My judge sits on my own shoulders. And that is something that I'm working on every single day. It's time to wrap this up and I just want to say very sincerely thank you. You have your choice of thousands of different podcasts that you could be listening to each day and I appreciate you for choosing this to be one of them. Right now in this moment I see the light, I see the love, the wisdom, the beauty, the prosperity, the creativity and the pure joy that shines within each of you and I bow humbly before your divinity. Namaste.